All right. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to have our next chapter. We're up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Those that are new this evening, we're studying the pastoral epistles. We've already done 1 Timothy chapters 1 through 6. We're now into 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 2. Tonight, 3. Next week, chapter 4, Lord willing. And then the book of Titus. Reason being, and, and everybody here knows this, but I'll be resigning as pastor and couple weeks on the 26th of March and we uh, Lord willing will be uh, uh, appointing and approving Chris Barron as our next pastor as I've been pastor here for 40 years we uh, I I will be doing other things in the church look forward to that so we're just studying to uh, the pastoral epistles so we know we're all on the same page what a pastor is and some of what his uh, calling is about, his duties, and so on. So this, uh, but this one here, um, you have uh, before you, uh, is a little bit different. This one's prophetic. Uh, So much of this chapter is prophetic, one of the most amazing prophecies. And uh, in fact, if... uh, uh, Brother John, maybe if you could bring me the second page. I don't have that with me, but uh, I want to just make a note of, of some uh, study we've done in the past here. Thank you. On the back of this one, you'll see a chart about the seven major prophecies. Thank you. Here's the seven major prophecies of the New Testament. Now, keep in mind, the New Testament is full of prophecy. There's prophecy all over the New Testament, all over the Old Testament. But by the major prophecies, we mean the ones with the most verses in them, the largest and the longest ones. Now, five of these are by the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of them are by the Apostle Paul. And uh, I want you to notice um, they're uh, on the chart here, and we get down to number five. That's tonight, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 17. So the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Ghost, gives us five and six. And then the book of Revelation, of course, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So five of these are by Christ, two are by Paul. This one here, though, it's kind of a unique prophecy in that it's very, very specific. Very specific about the character and the nature of human beings in the last days. In the last, in fact, we're going to see 30 different statements about the uh, the nature of the the. the the character of people in the last days, and, and, and they're going to be very difficult days, as it tells us in verse number 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. All right? Uh, pastors should know prophecy. Everybody should know prophecy. And pastors should know prophecy. So he's writing to Timothy... But he's really writing to all of us. But he says, I want you to know something, Timothy. Now, everybody since the time of Christ has thought that they were in the last days. That's how it's supposed to be. Uh, That's why it's called the Blessed Hope. And uh, there was actually a man who uh, compiled a book that I had one time, and I gave it away but where he took from the writings of Christians, he found writings in every single century where they thought Christ was coming in their day. And they were right to think that way. 
And we are right to think that way. We would like to think Christ is coming in our day, but is he or not? I don't know. I mean, uh, we should make long-range plans for our lives to live for Christ, to do all we can. I can remember when I was saved back in 1969, I got saved and immediately became interested in prophecy, which is not really what you should do as a babe in Christ, but... uh, I did, and I can remember my brother George and I, we were uh, just theological geniuses uh, in the first couple years of our Christian life, and we both came to the conclusion that neither of us would ever live long enough to get married. Well, I've been married 43 years, George has been married 43 years. And uh, I can remember a particular Sunday school teacher I had in that church, that little country church, Ed Knapp. He kind of poured cold water all over us. He, he just came right out and said, I don't think the rapture's happening in my life. There's way too many prophecies to be fulfilled. Well, that's not what we wanted to hear. Uh, he says, I'm planning on living my life for the Lord all of my days. And uh, living as though the Lord may come today, but living uh, with a long-range plan. And he lived to be 92 years of age, and he did. He lived for the Lord right up to his last days and and, uh, made good use of him. Unfortunately, I've I've seen a few people who kind of like sitting around saying, well, there's not much we can do. The Lord's coming, and these are the last days. And that's not supposed to be the effect. In fact, the greatest effect that this should have on us is what Paul brings out to to Timothy in verse 14. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He didn't say quit. He said continue. And so the purpose of prophecy, verses 1 through 13, is to encourage us to continue uh, in the things which thou hast learned, not to quit or sit around or say, well, there's nothing we can do. It's the last days. It's all preordained to happen this way. Um, No, there are some people that do live that way, though, and it's sad. Uh, Let us make full use of it. Uh, In fact, in in the book of Daniel, it says, the people that shall know their God shall do exploits. That means great works. And uh, so we can still do great works. We don't have to hang our heads and say and mope and say this is the Laodicean age and everybody's lukewarm and nothing. No, Jesus said even to the Laodicean church, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, you would not have told uh, the Laodicean church to be zealous if they couldn't be zealous. He wouldn't have said that. Uh, be zealous therefore and repent and then he said also behold I stand at the door knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come in and sup with him and he with me we use that as a soul winning verse but in the context it's not to the lost it's to the church it's Jesus saying look right up to the last moment of the church age anybody who wants to have fellowship with me as an individual may And so maybe the rest of the church might become lukewarm, but you can have a revival. You can be zealous. 
And I think we're seeing some of that. I think we see some people who are really uh, on fire uh, for the Lord. And uh, that is great. Uh, we're, I think we're seeing it in many places. Uh, people getting fired up and, and just trying to reach souls. So, so we should all know prophecy, verse 1. Uh, and Timothy should. And he says that in the last days. Now, I'm going to do something a little different tonight. And I'm going to build an outline on the word perilous. Verse 1 says, in the last days perilous times shall come. And it certainly seems like that's a good description. Now, a lot of my interpretation of this passage in Scripture tonight will will be from an American point of view, because that's the country I live in. But I think it's like this in a lot of places around the world. And uh, perilous. Perilous to what? Well, on the other side, we're going to go through uh, a outline that I put together years ago and passed out, and I just reprinted it here. Perilous times shall come, and we see an outline here on the back. There's going to be seven different perils. There'll be a peril to society, that's, that's verses 1 through 4, a peril to the church, verse 5, a peril to women, verse 6, a peril to education, verse 7, peril to authority, verse 8, a peril to Christians, verse 12, and a peril to the mind, the thought life of people on earth, in verses 13. So we'll just kind of follow this. But going back to verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Uh, Keep your place here, or just turn to Matthew chapter 8. Because I want to show you a word here. Uh, the, the King James Bible is the best um, commentary on the King James Bible. Matthew 8 and verse number 28 says this, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Now you see that phrase, exceeding fierce? That is the same word that is translated perilous in our text tonight. It's the same word. And sometimes we're getting glimpses of that, people becoming exceedingly fierce these days. Um, You know, back... 20 years ago, they started calling it road rage. They started putting names on the behavior of people, and now it's, it's like nightly news. Some, somebody's uh, just, just angry. And uh, this is not good news, but this is just the Lord telling us this is how it's going to be in the last days. Perilous times are going to be, there's going to be perilous. There's going to be people who are exceedingly fierce. And of course, what we just read in Matthew eight twenty eight was caused by demonic activity. And uh, there's going to be a lot of demonic activity in the last days as we dispel God out, as we tell God to get lost, society, uh, countries, just say, we, we, well, that leaves a vacuum. Uh, when God leaves a country, that leaves a vacuum. And the devils quickly fill uh, that void and come back with seven more 
and it's not pretty. The word perilous means difficult, dangerous, reducing the strength of. Reducing the strength of. That means it's going to be wearing out people. Um, and uh, as I said, it was, it's interpreted into the word fierce in Matthew 8.28. Not good, not good. Now why? I think the first statement in verse 2 tells us why things will become perilous because of pride. Proud people are the worst people on earth. They are the ugliest people on earth. If you'll ever study pride, just the word pride or proud, just go down through your concordance and see that it makes the ugliest and the worst people. I mean, Lucifer was the most beautiful creature God ever made. He's the ugliest today. Uh, We don't call him Lucifer anymore, light bearer. We call him Satan. Uh, We call him the devil. Uh, Because the Bible says his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. And that's what pride does. It turns the most beautiful people into the most the ugliest people. Pride. And there's so many types of pride. There's national pride. There's family pride. Personal self-pride. When it says in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, those are the worst types of human beings. That's what we call humanism. Where we worship humanity, we, we dispel God, we tell God we don't need you, we can, we can make it on our own. Uh, that's, that's what's called humanism, and, and that's self-love. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Boy, I tell you, one self-loving person can wreck a marriage, one self-loving person can wreck a church, one self-loving person can wreck a country if they get into a position of authority and One self-loving person can wreck a neighborhood or a business. They are, it makes such ugly people. And that's what produces the peril. The peril, selfish people have become perilous people to others. And so, the first peril described in verses 2 through 4, on the opposite side of your sheet, shows us the peril to society. The peril to society, verse 1. and verse 2, self-love. That's the worst kind of love. That's humanism. And uh, the worst atrocities that we've ever seen have been in the 1900s. And into this um, uh, generation where, where humanism really began to take roots in the 1800s in both society and religion and science and uh, self-love. Another uh, description of society would be, number three, covetous in verse two. Covetous. People who are always desirous of what belongs to another. Uh, We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. We'd laugh at that, but it's not funny in God's eyes. Covetousness is idolatry. It is the human being believing that money or the things of this world can satisfy them. When God is El Shaddai, the satisfier, and it replaces God, we don't need God, we can get satisfaction by buying this or buying that or owning this, and it's a replacement, that's why it's called idolatry, covetousness is idolatry, boasters, uh, an empty braggart, 
uh, I'm old enough to remember the, the shock when uh, in society, even in the sports realm, when Muhammad Ali used to go around saying he was the greatest of all time. It was so shocking because people didn't talk like that. The Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. And he started talking about how great he was. He was the greatest ever, and it was just so, so shocking. Our society hasn't always been like this. But now there's boasters everywhere and proud. Number five, that means in verse two, overestimating one's value, seeking preeminence, uh, using our minds to constantly be occupied with ourselves, being proud. Then blasphemers. Blasphemers are those who rail and are abusive towards holy things towards God. That's the worst blasphemy when they curse God and the Father and God the Son. That is forgivable. Not the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, though. The Bible says that will never be forgiven in this life or the next. But blasphemy is also when we are harmful to holy things, uh, such as the church or the Bible and uh, things that are holy we should never, ever trifle with. Disobedient to parents, we see a very general anti-family spirit uh, in the world, in the school, on television, in Hollywood, anti-parents, spirit, and this is a violation of the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Don't fall into this worldliness Uh, young people of being disobedient to your parents then unthankful which means without gratitude if you read Romans chapter number one you will see the dangerous uh, path that ungratitude leads Romans chapter one if you start reading around verse 18 it says neither were they grateful And uh, then it just takes you down a long, dark path of just into wickedness, perversion, ungodliness, all because we do not take the spiritual medicine of thankfulness for our souls and we forget God. Unholy, that means wicked, no separation unto God, no sanctification. Now, this isn't everybody on earth. This is just kind of society in general. We don't have to be like any of this. We have the Holy Spirit. Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. And so this doesn't have to describe us, but unfortunately, it does describe the day and age in which we live in. And so don't be shocked by what you see. Just, I mean, it hurts your heart, but we should say, well, that's that's what was written. And sure enough, it's... And it wasn't always like this. Some people say, well, it was always like this. No, it wasn't. Uh, Some of us are old enough to remember when it wasn't always like this. We thought it was strange if somebody was disobedient to their parents uh, growing up. Without natural affection. We're into verse 3 now. Without natural affection. Inhuman or unsociable in normal relationships. You may notice some of the normal is becoming abnormal nowadays, and some of the abnormal they're trying to push on us is normal. 
That's unnatural affections. We've, it hurts to see this, but uh, again, it's scriptural. God says people will not have natural affection. And we see the disposal of human life, little boys and girls through abortion, and, and that's just kind of like, man, yeah, we just accept it. It's just something we do in our country. And that's not natural. Truce breakers, breaking covenants or agreements, false accusers, that's the same word as devil, doing the work of the devil, false accusers. Incontinent means they are without self-control, without self-control. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Proverbs 25, verse 28. And uh, God can help us. One of the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. That's Holy Spirit's self-control. He can help restrain us. And so if you're struggling tonight with the flesh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. They that walk in the Spirit shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because that can certainly be destructive to your testimony. If you're incontinent, unable to control themselves, we all probably know somebody who can't control themselves in either the physical realm or the emotional realm. And uh, it's it's like those guys we read about earlier, the Gergesenes up in the mountains there, uh, when we started tonight. Uh, It says nobody could pass that way because they were so out of control until Jesus came and helped them. There's hope for those folks in Christ. Despisers of those that are good. Well, that sounds pretty much like our nightly news uh, broadcast or internet and everything. The good today are evil. The evil are good. And um, they despise those that are good. And they turn it around to make you and I look very evil because we don't tolerate certain people and we don't tolerate certain behaviors and so they say well you're intolerant you're you know have these phobias and you're bigoted and and no we just we just uh, believe there's some things right some things are wrong and uh, we love the sinner but we don't love the sin because that crucified our savior we can't we can't start saying well this is okay when it crucified our savior But they despise those that are good. Verse 4 tells us more about the peril to society, and this is the largest chunk of the prophecy. Traitors. They'll betray each other. The word heady means rash or reckless. High-minded means self-promoting. And then number 19, the 19th characteristic of society in the last days is lovers of pleasures more than God, more than lovers of God, misplaced love. So it starts, number two, with self-love and then ends describing society with love for pleasure, love for pleasure. If we're not careful, we see that even in the church. There was a time, I can remember this, when people worked all week long so they could serve God on the weekend. So they could go build a bus route or something and bring them to church on Sunday. and then, So, so what they did, they, they worked all week so they could serve God on the weekends. But now we have 
some with a mindset of let's work all week so we can party on the weekends and have a good time on the weekends. And, and it's misplaced. You don't get time back. And um, there's, there's a lot of love for pleasure. Love for pleasure more than that of God. Well, in the last days, perilous times shall come. There's going to be great peril to society. And just, just, just see what's happening to human nature. Not everybody. I mean, there's a lot of nice people out there still. A lot of people we can reach. A lot of people who are open. A lot of people who see this happening and they don't like it. They're, even, they're lost and they don't like it. What's happening to my country? It's happening to our world. And this, I think we can use that uh, to bring people to Christ. And maybe even to church. Now, if we're not careful, number two, there's going to be a peril to the church. In verse 5, the Bible says this, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And, and there was a time when everybody could work together. There was a time. I'm serious. When Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, they could all get together back in the 1800s. They almost fundamentally believed everything exactly the same. And they, they, they get together, and, but boy, now it's, it's almost like total separation we've got to have uh, because there's so much heresy, so much apostasy, so much compromise in uh, so many of the uh, mainstream Protestant denominations. Baptists were never Protestants. And if you ever want to study that, get uh, Carol's book on uh, the... Um, uh, oh, help me out. What is it? Trail of Blood. The Trail of Blood. Uh, it's a short read. It's 57 pages long. Got a big chart in the back. He did a lot of work to show us that Baptists were never Protestants. Baptists were never Catholics. There was always a line that went back to Christ of a separated people. Um, and, and boy, that's how it's going to end too, man. Total separation uh, from the ecumenical movement. That the Lord does not want us to be a part of in any way, shape, or form. And uh, some of them are good people. Some of them are saved. And I, I wish them well. I hope they get other people saved. But, but things like doctrine and sound words uh, should mean a lot to us. And uh, we're even called upon in Romans 16, verse 17, to use doctrine to separate from people. Not, you know, still love them and pray for them and and hope they have revival and hope some of the revivals they're having are real. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. We just need to tend to our own business and uh, let God be God. But there's a peril to the church of people in the last days having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Notice on your other notes there what Spurgeon says about this under chapter 3 and verse 5. True religion is a spiritual thing, but it is necessarily, but it necessarily embodies itself in a form. Christian people fall into a certain outward method of procedure, a peculiar outward mode of uttering their faith, which becomes to true godliness what the body is to the soul. If they get both the form as modeled in the word of God and the power as bestowed by the spirit of God, you do well. And are living Christians. And so our, our, our religion takes on a form, in other words. Uh, we go to church. That's fine. That's biblical. As long as the power of God is, in, is attached to it. 
If you get the power alone without the ordained form, you somewhat maim yourself. I mean, you can do so much as an individual, but you can do more collectively. But if you get the form without the power, then you dwell in spiritual death. And that's where we are today. There's a form of godliness, there's church going, but denying the power thereof, that's the Holy Ghost. And uh, saying, no, no, Holy Spirit, I'll take it from here. Number three, there's a peril to women. Verse number uh, 20, uh, um, verse number uh, six, rather, uh, says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lust. Kind of a strange verse stuck right in the middle of this end time prophecy. But we see here the degradation of some women in the last days. It says, Some women in the last days will be loaded. That, mean, that word laden means loaded down by sin and lust. Not just men, but women too. And it's very important to all you ladies in verse 6, don't let bad men lead you around. Don't let them into your house. They're creeps. If they try to get into your house, that's what it says. It says right there. No, just say no, get away, creep. Uh, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women. Well, the women aren't that great either. They're silly. That's not a compliment. Okay, that is not a compliment. And uh, the word silly here in the scriptures uh, means a woman who's just not very smart. And it's not smart to let a, woman, a man in your house. And men sadly lead women around. Not, not in all cases, but sadly women kind of follow men. In the last days, that's not going to be good for some women. It's a peril to education, verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, don't you see that? You would think that people studying astronomy would just fall on their faces, prostrate, and start worshiping God. But they don't. They come up with all these theories on how this happened by an explosion, and it's expanding and all this kind of stuff. Ever learning. Ever learning. But look at the increased knowledge that we have today like never before because of the connecting of all the computers and what's called the internet. I remember when that idea came out. Everyone laughs at Yeah, like that's ever going to happen. Going to connect everybody's computers to each other. But now you can Google in anything you want or whatever search engine you use to get any information you want about anything. It's unbelievable how knowledge has increased. And, uh, but it hasn't led people to truth. All that knowledge hasn't led people rushing to the throne of Christ to be saved. What futility. Apparel to authority. Uh, verse number 8 says, Now as Janies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And so there's going to be a peril to authority. Moses was God's man at that time. Janies and Jambres have no idea who they were. I got a feeling they were perhaps um, two of uh, Pharaoh's magicians. I don't know. Nobody knows. But they withstood Moses. They withstood Moses, the man of God, and everybody knew he was the man of God. Pharaoh knew it, but they just withstood. Well, the Bible says it's going to be similar to that in the last days. There is a spirit of Antichrist. 
in the world. First John 4 and verse number 3, all the way back in John's day, he already began to teach. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherever you have heard that it should come, you've heard. And even now already is in the world. Well, man, if the spirit of Antichrist was in the world already in John's day, what is it like today? And just just the general uh, opposition to authority uh, shows that, I mean, all authority comes from God. And when you see students at school being disrespectful, the Bible says they're supposed to be under tutors and governors. That's authority from God. Or in the home, the Bible says they're supposed to be under fathers and mothers. Or in marriage, the wife's supposed to be under the husband. And the church supposed to be under the pastor as he's under Christ. And, and, and right up to the policeman and the presidents and the mayors and the governors and everything. All authority comes down from God. It's all in the scriptures. And that's why there's going to be such anarchy in the last days because of the spirit of Antichrist. And our country has gone from Christian to unchristian to anti-Christian. That's where we're at. Men's minds will be corrupted. That is, depraved minds reprobate. Here in verse 8 means that they will have absolutely no principles, absolutely no absolutes, no morals, nothing. Reprobate means you're completely unprincipled. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's right. You can just do whatever you want to, and Satan loves that. Well, as a result, it's going to be a peril to Christians We see the persecution of Christians in verse 12 who are living godly, not those that are living ungodly. The world loves them. But yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But let's count that as a blessing because we are told in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12 in the Sermon on the Mount, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets. That were before you, so we should rejoice if we are ever persecuted. Told you about Ellsworth Ivy. My dad and others used to persecute him for the four years my dad worked with him. They used to persecute him. They used to laugh at him. We, my dad said every day we laughed at him. But finally, Ellsworth's Christian testimony got to my dad's heart, and my dad got saved because of his witness. So we need to bear persecution because people are watching us. And it might start a miracle. If you, if my, what convinced my dad that the gospel was true was Ellsworth Ivy. He saw Christ in him. He saw Christ in him. And that man stood every day for laughter and persecution at work. And finally, as he was giving my dad tracts and gave him a Bible and witnessed to him, it all made sense. And my dad said, I saw it was real in him. He called him in a, a living epistle. All the rest of his life, he said he was a living epistle. And I was over to see him, Ellsworth. My dad went to heaven back in January 20th. But I saw Ellsworth Saturday. God took my picture with him. I said, again, I want to just thank you. Thank you. So if you're persecuted, somebody might be watching you. 
And just bear that because somebody might get saved that you don't even know is watching you because your testimony will be powerful. It's going to be a peril to the mind for men will become worse and worse. Verses 13, seducers will become worse and worse. Deceivers, delusion. Boy, is that like today? You think of some of the things they're promoting, some of the things they're teaching in schools and elementary schools and middle schools, high schools, colleges, universities, and you're like saying that you can't possibly believe that. But they do. They not only believe it, they're teaching it and others are embracing it. Uh, some of the things going on that we never, never thought in our lives they would teach this or that or the other uh, to little children. This is what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. And as bad as it's going to be, this will lead up to a seven-year tribulation period where we'll be raptured out, those that are true believers in Christ just before it. Can you imagine if it's this bad just before the rapture, what the world will get like when all the Christians disappear? Now, there will be people getting saved in the tribulation, but there won't be any churches. There won't be one church on earth during the tribulation period except for maybe underground churches where brand new babes in Christ, they won't have any pastors. They won't have any elders. Imagine that, getting saved and everybody else that got saved is a babe in Christ during the tribulation period. They won't have what we have that we can come to and benefit from. There won't be one deacon, there won't be an elder, there won't be special music, nothing. You ever think about that? Boy, thank God we're saved. And make sure you're saved because you don't want to go into the tribulation period. Well, very quickly, our time's almost up here. After all of this, then he says what I said earlier, verse 14, but continue, don't quit, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So don't, don't quit, just continue in what you have learned and then not only in what you have been taught by others, verse 14, but by the Bible, in closing, verses 15 through 17. Now these are one of the greatest texts on the Bible. Greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. In verses 15 through 17, I wish I had more time to go through these, but look at verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, Uh, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So notice the power of the scriptures there when we teach them to children. Okay, now Paul was taught, we've already seen, by his grandma Lois and his mother Eunice. Okay, their unfeigned faith, I don't know what scriptures they had. They didn't have what we have published today, but whatever Lois and Eunice could use, they taught their son Timothy and their grandson Timothy. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's why we need to bring children to church. That's why we need to have devotions at home where you read the scriptures to your children. They need to hear it from mom and dad and from grandma and grandpa. And because of the power of the scriptures, that's why we need to have vacation Bible schools and kids clubs and Sunday schools and... and um, Uh, children's churches and bus ministries and van routes and and, uh, summer camps and winter camps and all these things for children. We've got to keep doing that. 
because of the power of the Holy Scriptures to make children wise unto salvation. Got to keep doing it. I've heard so many testimonies of people who said, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid, blah, blah, blah. But then when I got to be 16 or 18, or I started thinking about it, I wasn't really saved, but I got saved. Why? Because they knew what to do. Maybe they prayed a prayer, but, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they knew what to do when they started to doubt because the scriptures were in their heart. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been having this year a, a, an increase in our Sunday school attendance, uh, getting close to our goal. We're praying for a goal, and, and attendances have been increasing Sunday school. That blesses my heart. It's good to see more kids running around here and teens and, and, and young adults and uh, uh, young adults with kids and single adults. It doesn't matter. We've got to get the Scriptures out. Now, all Scriptures given by inspiration of God. This is the, probably the greatest verse on inspiration in the Bible. All Scripture. And um, let's not forget all Scripture. Uh, here's a definition of all Scripture. It talks about the Apostle Paul. He wrote about half the New Testament. Peter said this about Paul's writings. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood. Amen? Sometimes I'm reading Paul and I'm saying, what is he talking about? Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures. Peter called Paul's epistles, all of his epistles, scripture. That's called the canon. All right? So we got the New Testament books uh, as the canon of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means every single word was inspired by God. Not just the thoughts, but each individual word was inspired by God. We not only believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures, we believe in the preservation of the scriptures I mean what a divine waste of time it would be to write a bible and then lose track of it and, and then uh, where, where's the bible you have people like that they'll tell you that oh, now there's no bible it's... no there is because Jesus said you know three times if you memorize this verse you memorize three verses and you can really impress people with that and there are uh, Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, and Luke 21, verse 33. They all say exactly the same words. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And that's called preservation. Preservation. So we believe in the inspiration of the word of God. Every word God breathed, every single word. And we also believe in the preservation. So we've got to believe there's a Bible around. In any language where they have translated the Masoretic text of the Hebrew into their language and the received text of the Greek into the, their language, in English that would be only the King James Bible. Uh, we believe that is the Word of God. That is the Word of God. And um, we, we should thank the Lord as English-speaking people that we have the Word of God, inspired and preserved uh, for us today. Now, what's the purpose of this colon at the end of verse 16? In closing, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That certainly would be a pastor. 
The word perfect means complete. It's like building a house and then you finally get the last piece of molding up and you walk out and say, there, it's all done. Complete. That's what the word perfect means. But then it's empty. Then you've got to furnish it. Okay? So, completed, finished finally, and then furnished. Furnished with what? The ability to be fruitful in all good works. Colossians 1 verse 10 says that you may be fruitful in every good work. So that means you ought to be good at prayer, you ought to be good at Bible study, you ought to be good at witnessing, you ought to be good at being a husband, a father, a pastor, whatever, all of us, whatever good works God wants us to be involved in, He wants us to be thoroughly, truly furnished unto all good works. So he wants to make you complete. He wants to make me complete. He wants to furnish us so we're complete Christians and so that we can uh, be used by God. Be used by God. That's the purpose of the scriptures, to make you and I better.